Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Learn to discern. This is a series that we've been um, just started last week. It's something the Lord really laid on my heart a couple of years ago, and I've been working on it off and on since, because I think it's going to be one of the most important series that we hear as a church. Especially as we go forward in this, uh, in this nation and we see uh, the disaster that seems to be constantly presented to us. We see morality being turned on its head, and sometimes you might wonder, what is morality? Could they be right? Am I a bigot? And then as you start to look at the world around you, maybe you start to feel kind of like, kind of like this. Feel a little overwhelmed. I mean, this is the season to feel like this anyways, right? And uh, it, it never seems to stop. Something new is always coming out. Something new is always coming out. Some challenge to morality, some challenge to Scripture, some challenge to God. And we just feel like we're in this rat race trying to keep up. Well, I want to be able to help us find a foundation today. And I want us to be able to launch out in discernment from a solid foundation. So we started last week with the Bible. And here is a biblical prophecy from a prophet named Micah. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me, one is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This prophecy was uttered some 700 years before this little baby boy Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You know, we often go to Isaiah, don't we? If you've been in church and you've been church for a while, you know that, behold, a virgin shall conceive and and, and bring forth a son, and she'll call his name Emmanuel, right? For God with us. Um, here's another prophecy. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. Uh, prophesied a completely different prophecy. Prophesied the birth site of Jesus. 700 years before Jesus was born. There are certain prophecies that you can't fulfill yourself. Amen? Like you might have been reading the Bible like, oh, I can do that. List all 300 or so prophecies and you can try to fulfill them yourself, right? I know these, we're, I'm going I'm to make sure that I fulfill this prophecy. I'm going to be at this place. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And some people think maybe Jesus did that. That he knew the Old Testament and he tried to fulfill the prophecies. But you can't fulfill your own birth, right? You are born where you are born. And you can't control that. And so here is a very powerful prophecy. And it gives to us a certain... Uh, Ability to trust in the Word of God. Where there are prophecies in the Word of God, they come to pass, literally. Not one has failed. Some are waiting to be fulfilled. And those are the prophecies concerning the end of time, the end of age. 
And they're not being fulfilled just yet. But based on the hundreds of others that were literally fulfilled, we know that they will be literally fulfilled one day. And so this is an absolute perfect fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah. Born in Bethlehem. You notice in the Bible it said ancient of days. He was, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. The Bible calls Jesus the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. All God, all man. And that's why he's from ancient days. Because he is God. He was not, in, he was not born in the sense of his beginning was in the manger. That was not the beginning of Jesus. That's what we refer to theologically as the incarnation of Christ, where the living Word of God wrapped Himself in flesh and became a man so that He could be our Redeemer. So let's go on and do a quick review of the last few weeks. First of all, we went through John chapter 17. should be up online. Uh, The internet's been a little spotty here lately. But John chapter 17 is a high priestly prayer of God. And during that high priestly prayer, he talked about the fact that we are not of this world. Jesus is not of this world, and those who will follow him are also not of this world. In fact, he said, um, the world hated me, and the world is going to hate you too. And we're going to find out as Christians... In our country, which has been for decades favorable to Christianity, amen? It's been favorable to the moral principles of the Ten Commandments. Christianity has been favored by our country, but of late she's falling out of favor. She's falling out of favor with about half of the country now. She's falling out of favor with many that are in rulership in our country, so to speak. We don't have a king that rules over us. We have laws. And so we are not of this world and it's going to become more and more and more apparent to the world around us that we are not part of them. Pastor Z, the founding pastor of our church, used to talk about how dark it was getting. How dark the world was getting back in 1978, 79, I, I came to Emmanuel in 86, and he preached until about 1993, and he kept saying about how dark it's getting, how dark it's getting, how dark it's getting, and I said last week he's probably rolling over in his urn. Um, that's a joke, because to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ, so he's up there rejoicing with Jesus. But man, if he could see the world today, I don't think those old saints had any idea how twisted things could become. We are not of this world. What are we? We are of the truth. We talked about the Bible and that prayer, that high priestly prayer. Jesus says, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Set them apart by your truth. Set them apart by your truth. And listen, the truth of God is found where? Where do we find the truth? Not in the preacher. Not in the church. Not in a denomination, but in the Bible. And what is the most important truth right now that we, that we have to share with the world? What is it? 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And so as we follow hard after Jesus, it makes certain changes in our lives and we become to be visibly different. But the most important difference is the difference of grace in the lives of a broken people. In fact, we have a saying at Emmanuel, welcome to the church of broken people from the pulpit to the pew, being made whole in Jesus. And when people see the display of God's grace on the tapestry of our broken lives, and they say to themselves, wow, God could save him, God could save her, maybe there's a chance for me. Because we're saved by faith through grace, that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that is the greatest truth of all, is that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That means no other religion. There is no other way. There's no other church. There's no other word. There's no other sacrifice you or I could make. No one comes to the Father. And the Bible very clearly states that the Father is in heaven. That His throne room is in heaven. And that no one can reach that through their own good works or through their own sacrifice, uh, through obeying the Ten Commandments, through joining another church, through another religion. It is exclusive. And of course, that's a knock on Christianity. You're saying that Jesus is the only way? Well, I'm not saying that. This is what the Bible has said. That there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. The name of Jesus. And so church, if you have this idea that maybe there are some other pathways to heaven and you think that you're a believer in Jesus, I'm concerned for you and your salvation because Jesus is it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have a job, church, to be not of this world. We have a job to not belong so that they can see Christ in us. We have a, we have a mission to live in love like Jesus, to bless God, bless others, and to be the blessing to the world around us, even when they hate us because they hated Him. That is our, that is our task. We, we wrapped up that sermon with a couple more statements. One is this, the truth of Scripture must not be ignored or replaced by anything. By anything. Not our own attitudes. Not our own opinions. Not what I think. Not what you think, but what the Scripture says. We are beholden to the Word of the living God. It's not our opinions that matter, it's God's opinion. And so we want to move on to Hebrews chapter 12, I'm sorry, chapter 4 verse 12. Continuing on to the Word of God, because the Word of God, again, is the foundation for discernment. It's the foundation for discernment. Can I tell you, when I first started pastoring Emmanuel, almost 14 and a half years ago, that um, people would come to me and they would say, Pastor, is this okay? Pastor, can I go do this? Pastor, can I do that? Do that? And, and that's kind of how the church was. And I said, well, what, is, what does God say? What does the Bible say? You see, you have the Bible in your hands and you have the author in your heart, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit wrote the book through human authors and you can go right to the Bible. The problem is what we want to hear the pastor say is something different than what the Bible says. We want the pastor to put a stamp of approval on something that we know we probably shouldn't be involved in. And so I began to challenge the church. You need to know the book for yourself. 
we did a series on the, on the will of God, knowing the will of God. And, and I think sometimes we, we look at the will of God, we think it's this mysterious, ethereal thing that, that we're stumbling along in the dark to find the will of God. Well, the will of God is written down in the book. There are so many areas that are absolutely black and white that God has presented to us in the Word of God that we don't have to ask the question, is this the will of God? Should I be baptized? I wonder if I should be baptized. You've trusted Christ as your Savior? Well, the Bible says be baptized. There's no praying about that. I'm praying about being baptized. No, what you should be doing is praying for the courage to be baptized. It's different, right? I'm praying for the courage to obey. I'm praying for the courage to be baptized. But you know that you need to be because the Scripture says, not for your salvation, but an act of obedience to your Lord and Savior to tell the world that He is your Savior and you want to follow Him. You follow? So we move on. For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I feel like I read that a little too quickly. Let's read it again. For the Word of God is living and powerful. Other translations say alive and effective. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so first let's take a look at this thing about the word of God. We know the Word of God is true. We really investigated that quite a bit last week. The Word of God is true in every topic that it speaks on. It is not a book of science, but where it speaks on science, it is true. Understood? It is not just a book of history, but where it speaks historical fact, it's true. That my wife and I were watching a, we watched this uh, biblical archaeologist on YouTube. I forget what his name is. I'd, I'd love to share it with you, but... He was talking about the city of Nineveh last night, about a 30-minute program, and how that early on, uh, the only um, information the world had about Nineveh was found in the Bible. Nineveh didn't exist to the world until they found it, where it was supposed to be found, and they started to excavate it, and then they found the name of the king of Assyria, who was also named in the word of God. And then they found a, a siege of one of the cities of Israel, which was described in the word of God. It's just amazing things. The word of God is true on whatever matter it speaks. And so it's also powerful and alive. The word is powerful and alive. A popular preacher, there's a thing that, that's going through the world and it's been going through the world for a long time called celebrity preachers. You have these celebrity preachers and, and they have great followings and giant churches and their reach has gone beyond their churches out into the country and beyond the country to the world and I'll tell you, with that kind of reach comes great responsibility. I mean, it's scary to pastor a church of 150, 200 people. I can't imagine what it's like to pastor a church of 20,000. And then beyond 20,000, hundreds of thousands and maybe millions around the world. 
But there's this popular preacher, and he's talking about this. He, uh, he says this, uh, saying that the Bible says so. Well, because the Bible says so. Isn't enough for thinking and questioning people who've been raised in the church. He calls it Sunday school faith. Sunday school faith isn't enough for real world life, real world living. And I was really disappointed because I love this preacher. He's an incredible communicator. Has a massive following. And I get what he's saying. But it's nothing new. See, the Bible is offensive. The Bible can be difficult to understand. And the goal is not to offend those who are lost. I'm, I am on board with you 100% that we should remove as many offenses and many fences and barriers as we possibly can so those that are on the outside can get in. You follow? But one thing we can't remove is the Bible. The only reason we know of Jesus today is because of the Old Testament. Now you say, well, I have the, the New Testament, right? Don't I know about Jesus because of the New Testament? Without the Old Testament, those Jews would have nothing to rest their belief on. See, the Old Testament prophesied about Jesus. Over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in Christ. And as he walked on the road to Emmaus, he opened up the Old Testament and he pointed out of the Old Testament all of these places that were pointing to him. And the disciples that were walking with them, it says, their hearts burned within them as they were hearing the word of God opened up to them. It's the Old Testament scriptures is what they had. And they testified of Jesus. This is why I opened with Micah today. One of the proofs that Jesus is Lord is that Micah prophesied where he would be born 700 years before he was born there. And that's just one among many. Well, his argument is that the early church, the early church didn't have the scriptures. That the scriptures were still being assembled in the first and second centuries. And he's right about that as far as the New Testament is concerned. The, the early church, the church that Jesus pastored in the, in the four biographies, we call them the gospel accounts of Jesus, uh, the church that, that Paul went to establish in the missionary journeys and all of those churches that were planted, did you know they didn't have the New Testament? I mean, you all didn't think the New Testament just magically appeared, did you? I mean, it was being written. It's an amazing book, and, and brother Steve Hackett, he's, he's had to move on to another church, but I'm going to invite him back to see if he wants to finish his series on the Bible. Um, Love the brother, went out with our blessing. And we still plan on being a big part of their church planting ministry when they're ready to rumble. Uh, but he, he taught us about the New Testament, didn't he? About those scriptures and, and how long after the event happened that they were written. It was still fresh. There are eyewitnesses. This is how that early church was formed. There's 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And their testimony was shared, but there's something else that was going on there were supernatural sign gifts that were given to the apostles that when they would speak, thus saith the Lord, it was confirmed by the Holy Spirit in a supernatural and powerful way. And then those books, those letters that were written were assembled as they were known to have the authority of the Holy Spirit upon them and then they were delivered to the church. But I contend this. I contend this. 
that they indeed did have the Scriptures, that, that New Testament church. From the very beginning, they had the Scriptures. They had the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament Scriptures. In fact, in the book of Acts, when, when there was some chaos between some widows being taken care of, and uh, the, it was brought to the apostles, they said, should we leave the Word of God in prayer to serve tables? That's not our task. Our task is prayer and the study of the Word. Why were they so intensely studying the Word of God? Because they were looking for those passages that Jesus had taught the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were going through the Old Testament with fresh eyes. The mystery had been revealed, as Peter says in one of his letters. The Old Testament was shrouded in mystery. But as soon as Jesus came and lived and died and rose again... Now they could look at the Old Testament with new eyes and fresh understanding and they could see Jesus written across the pages of what? The Old Testament. And so when they would get up and they would preach and testify, they had the Old Testament that they were sharing. I can imagine them going to Micah chapter 5 verse 2 saying, look at what the scripture says. The scripture says that the ruler would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The scripture says they shall look upon whom they have pierced. And Jesus was pierced. And they would potentially go through many of these scriptures and illustrate the truth of Jesus Christ from the 300 some prophecies that he fulfilled. You see, they had the scriptures. And they knew how to use them, amen? Amen. So his argument is that the early church didn't have the scriptures, but the scriptures were, they were there. The Old Testament was alive and well, and it was powerful, and it was, it was able to pierce between the soul and spirit and discern the heart. And so whatever Paul and Peter, wherever Paul and Peter and the rest went, they went with the Old Testament scriptures. They went with the Old Testament scriptures. They, they argued, Paul was, listen, Paul was brilliant and he would argue from the Old Testament the, the reality of Christ, the veracity of the existence of Jesus and all that he fulfilled, he would argue from the scriptures. And people were being saved as they realized this man, Jesus, he was different. He was different. There's something special about him. And then as they had the letters that they were writing, these special letters that the Holy Spirit had inspired them to write, those letters were beginning to circulate through the churches because they were the Word of God and they were preserved miraculously. Paul, his letters are verified by Peter, another apostle, that they were the Word of God. It's an amazing thing, these letters being passed around through the churches. So the early church had the Old Testament, and they had uh, the letters of the New Testament being assembled, uh, and they had the biographies beginning to be written. And so I've said all that to say this. The Bible said it, and that settles it. And Christian, that should be enough for you. The Bible said it, and that settles it. Oh, man. If the world or the devil attempts to cast doubt on the Word of God, if it attempts to cast doubt in your heart on the living Word of God that stands forever, you should be able to stand as well 
and say, well, the Bible said it and that settles it. And that's good enough for me. Because the Bible is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It stands forever, settled in heaven, and will never be destroyed. This is the Word of God. It is alive and it is powerful. Why do I believe what I believe? Because the Bible is the Word of God. And Jesus is alive after being crucified for me. And I have personally experienced salvation in Him. You follow? It's the Word of God that revealed Jesus to me. It's the living Word of God that revealed the living Word of God to me, Jesus. Oh, man. So the Bible... Is a gift to mankind that points to the gift of Jesus from the beginning to the end. It can help others see their own flaws and their need for Jesus. It helps us to discern the thoughts and intents of our own hearts. I think last week I talked about motives matter. It's a discerner of your own heart. So I was a youth pastor, I, had kids, I would have kids that would struggle with their salvation and I would point them to the Word of God. And then I would point them to have a conversation with God and Jesus. I can't tell you you're saved. Only God can do that. But I can point you to the Word of God that says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, period. That talks about... Um, Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and that God has raised him from the dead. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I can point them to that. Did you truly believe? Do you truly believe? Did you cry out to Jesus? Is God a liar? Well, the Bible says God who cannot lie in Titus. God who cannot lie. And so did he save you or didn't he? And then I think the struggle becomes, well, did I really believe or not? And only you can answer that. But I can say this. If you believe, that very belief is a gift from God. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you believe, if you have the stirrings of faith in your heart this morning and you have never cried out to Jesus to be your one and only Savior, right now where you're sitting, are you, are you having those stirrings that this is King Jesus that we sang about? This is King Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. All of our sins, past, present, and future, are paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. It covers them. In the, in the high court of heaven, you have an opportunity to be declared not guilty because of what Jesus has done. You have those stirrings of faith in your heart. If you do, would you call upon him right now where you sit, Lord Jesus? I know I'm a sinner by birth and by choice, and I believe what the Scriptures have said about you, that you, you are God in the flesh, that you, that you walked on this earth and you paid the penalty for my sin on the cross, and you rose again after you shed every last drop of your blood for me. Man, if you will believe and turn from your sin to God, he will save your eternal soul. God, I'm sick of my sin. I'm tired of this. I want to be free. I want to be redeemed. Folks, will you do that?
if you haven't yet. And if you do, would you share that with us this morning? Hey, all Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing. Thank you.